Well, I appreciate you being here this morning. I hope when you came in, you brought a Bible with you. And also on the uh, tables when you come in, there's a bulletin. And hopefully you will join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And on the back of that bulletin, there's some notes if you want to use those during our time together in the Word. But 1 Peter chapter 2. We have been walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the letter of 1 Peter. And looking at what Peter has to say to the church about how the church is to live in which the times they're in. And sometimes you will get to passages of Scripture and you'll think, you know, that's just not contextual or that's not applicable to me today. But yet when you get into the letter of 1 Peter, you start to find there is all kinds of relevance that we find in the text to where we're at in our daily lives. And, and hopefully you'll see that with me as we continue through the text this morning. Some of you don't have any clue what I'm talking about, but in about a month, the new season, the new NBA season begins. And as it begins, there's all kinds of questions with this COVID and pandemic and all this kind of stuff. And so just this last week, the Utah Jazz out in Salt Lake City, Utah, they play in the Vivint Arena and they made an announcement. And they said as part of the announcement that in order to attend their home basketball games, you would have to do what a lot of other people are doing. You'd have to have the, the proof of vaccine or you'd have to have a negative COVID test within so many hours. Da, 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 da. That is not the news story. The news story was that Channel 2, KUTV out in Salt Lake City, they said we need to get the response and we need to get the reaction of the fans here in Salt Lake City. So they tagged a lady by the name of Haley Crumbleholm. She is not a news reporter. She's just a regular reporter there for the news station. And they said we need you to go out and what they call MOS stories. You go out and you get the man on the street stories. Now, they sometimes they talk to women so it's not just simply men, but it's the idea of you going out and just finding total strangers, totally random people and asking them them, hey, what do you think about this policy? Or what do you think about this rule? Or what do you think about what is going on in the environment, the circumstances around you? So she goes out, Haley goes out, she goes to a shopping mall there in Salt Lake City just this last week. You can look it up, I'm not making this up. She went there just this last week, was talking to some random people in the street. A young man happened to walk up and she said, sir, would you be willing to answer some questions about what is going on right now with the Utah Jazz's upcoming home season? And the man's like, sure, I'll talk to you. So if you've ever been interviewed on the news, and a lot of times they'll ask you to say your name and then spell your name. That way when they get the heading down there, they can make sure it's spelled correctly. So she said, would you please give me your name? He said, my name is Jordan Clarkson's. And she said, would you spell it? And he spells the name. And then she proceeds to ask him about what he thinks about the new policy. And one of the first questions she asked him was, do you ever attend the home games? And what has gone viral and has had over 3 million views so far is his response is, yeah, I attend, I attend the games quite a bit. And then in another couple of questions, she realizes who she's talking to. And she is not talking to just a regular man on the street. She is talking to the reigning 2020-2021 NBA 6th man of the year. Jordan Clarkson is a seven-year veteran in the NBA league. For the last two years, he had played for the Utah Jazz. He scored last season, averaged 18.4 points per game. He led, he helped lead that team to the best winning record in the Western Conference Division. They were number one seed in the Western Conference Find the playoffs. And here he is walking up, a random stranger on the the street, she interviews him and she's talking about what is coming up with the new season of the Utah Jazz, not realizing she is talking to one of the star point guards on the team. 
But you can imagine the, the jokes and the gaffes and all the heat. You know, her defense, she's not a sports sports reporter. She claimed ignorance. She didn't realize it. But her embarrassment, in fact, she made very uh, several different statements about how embarrassed she was thinking that she was talking to a person on the street about the new upcoming deals and didn't realize she was talking to one of the players on the team. And, and Jordan Clarkson was very gracious and he, in his response there on social media, he just said, well, I'm just glad I've spelled my name right. But I read this story, and I caught wind of this story, and it made me think about where we're going to be at this morning. Because just as she was sitting on the street there in Salt Lake City, talking to someone that she thought was a completely random person, only to find out later to her embarrassment that he was one of the star point guards on the team, I wonder how many times people in the world around us talk to us, not realizing that we are on God's team. Not realizing... That we profess Jesus is our Lord and Savior. How many times do people talk to us and they don't realize the God we serve? See, Peter is talking about in this passage, he's talking about an example. We, we talked about last week about that, a, a different freedom, the, the freedom that we have, not just as believers in Jesus Christ, as members of the kingdom of God, but then this different freedom that we have even as citizens on this earth. And we talked about some of the things and, and some of the dynamics that come with living as a citizen of this world, but also a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we talked about how that freedom plays out last week. And then this week, Peter is going to talk about the example that we live, the example that we show to other people. And the question then on the table is, when people talk to us, do they know that we're a Christian simply because of our speech? Not because of where we're at on a Sunday morning, because lost people go to church. Not because we own a Bible, because lost people own a Bible. Not because we know Scripture, because James tells us in his epistle that even the devil knows Scripture. Not because of our family heritage, not because of our legacy, not because of our ethnicity, not because of our genealogy, not because of our practices when we were a child. But when people look at us today, when they see the example of our lives, not the examples of our mouths, the examples of our lives, do they see Christ in us? So when we get to this passage, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18 and read through the rest of the chapter, but, but Peter is wanting to draw them into the question. Do people see Christ in them? And to do that, he is going to start with one of the most, most stark contrast to where we think of he could go. So there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18, notice how he continues this on. He talked about us as citizens being subject to the authorities, the governmental authorities that God has put over us. We talked about that last week, but then notice he, he turns a, a corner here in verse 18, and I'm going to read it all the way down through verse 25, and then we're going we're to step back. But I want you to see the direction that he takes. If you're reading this in the context of this Greco-Roman world, if you're reading this in the context of a new believer, if you're reading this in the context of somebody that is exploring what it means to be a Christian and you get to this part in the letter of Peter writing to the church, you step back and you go, what in the world is he saying? Listen to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I pray that God adds understanding application to his word this morning. Peter's going to talk about our example. And he's going to use a very sharp contrast when it comes to the example that we give to the world. And you see there in your notes, we're just going to look at what Peter explains as far as how it is that we live like Christ. The first aspect or the first picture that he gives us is the condition. If you're taking notes or following along there in your notes, he's going to talk about the condition. If you look back up in verse 18, he starts with servants. Now, that servant word that is there in the Greco-Roman world was not talking about an ethnicity. And was not talking about the slavery like we often think about back in the 1800s and the, and the scar and the mark upon our country as a whole. He is talking about a, a, a picture there that was taking place where it didn't matter the color of your skin. It didn't matter of your social background. It didn't matter of your demographic where you came from. People were in servitude. People were treated as slaves. People were bought and sold. People were mistreated. All those things are true but the idea is that there would be individuals that would find themselves in indefinite servitude to someone else. And so he's looking at these servants, he's looking at these slaves, and he's looking at these individuals that have all the reason in the world to claim a pity party, or all the reason in the world to claim an excuse or some type of an exemption from being obedient to God, and he looks at probably what the society would consider to be the lowest of the lowest category. And he says, even you believers... All the way down here in the service and the bond servants and the slaves, the due losses, all of you, everyone is responsible for their example before God. So in other words, what he does is he encapsulates everybody from the top all the way down. By starting there at the bottom, he says there is no one else in the category in the church that can say, well, that's for them, but that's not for me. You know how he so many times in the church today, we will say, well, that is their gifting or that is their calling. Right now, they're going through the spiritual gifts and the spiritual gifting there in Sunday school on a Sunday morning. And some people may say, well, you know what? That's for Spence to do, but I don't have that gifting. Or that is for Charles to do, but that's not my gifting. The reality, though, is, is as Christians, Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, we all have a responsibility to point to God. It's not a matter of gifting, it's a matter of conviction. It's a matter of who we are reflects who we belong to. So he talks about this condition. So he starts off talking to servants, that way he has everybody in the church. He has now encompassed everyone in the church. And what does he say? He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. In other words, he is reminding the lowest of the low to the highest of the high. Everyone, all people are under authority. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care of your age. I don't care of your state in life. Every single one of us in this room are under authority. Every one of us. 
I realize that when you're 19, 20 years old and you're a male and you got all the testosterone and you don't like doing what anybody tells you to do, you're going to do what you want to do. I realize that some of you students are sitting there at the house and you're sitting there in high school and you're saying, man, I just can't wait to get out of the house. I can't wait to get out of the school. On the school bus in the morning, I pick up some high school students and they're just saying, oh, I hate school. I can't wait to get out of school. And then what? Well, then I can do what I want. <laughs> and we believe that and we think that. And we have that attitude like that. And then we get out of the house and we get out of school and we spend all our time going, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to where I was because we realize and we come to understand that all of us, in one, some way of a condition, we are under authority. And then Peter goes on to continue that to remind us that none of us, none of us, we do not control our authority. That's why he says there in verse 18 that some of us are subject to good masters. And some of us are then subject to unjust masters. That's the idea he gives us there in verse 18. That not only are we under authority, but we do not control the authority. We do not control whether our boss comes to work with a good, new, a good attitude or a bad attitude. We do not control the authority that God has placed for our lives. We do not have the authority to control our authority. So what Peter is reminding them is, is that it doesn't matter whether you have a good boss or a poor boss. It doesn't matter whether you have a happy authority or unhappy authority. It doesn't matter whether you have a good slot in life or a bad slot in life. None of that stuff matters because your condition does not determine your attitude. You see there in verse 19, he says, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He reminds them that it doesn't matter what your condition is in life. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter whether you're having a good day or bad day. It doesn't matter whether you are a good job or a bad job. An easy job or a poor job. A good place in life or a poor place in life. All of the conditions are represented there in the kingdom of God. Everybody is in a variety of conditions. But the reality is that Peter wants to remind them is that their condition does not determine their attitude. There are some people in this world today that are doing miserable jobs with a good spirit. There are some people today that have great jobs with a terrible attitude. Your condition, your placing, where God has put you in your life does not determine your attitude. What determines your attitude is your calling. Is your calling. See, we control our response with, with these boys and trying to raise these boys. I'm always trying to press into them because we have a problem right now. We have a whole generation of young men that are growing up that were never taught or expected to deal with the anger in their life. And so you have this whole generation of these young men that are growing up and they feel like they are justified in venting their anger and taking out their anger and becoming passive aggressive and all that garbage. And I think it starts off when they're younger realizing that guess what? You can be angry, but that doesn't mean you get a right to throw a fit. And looking at some of those young men and, and telling them that, you know what, it's okay to get mad. But you know what, it doesn't matter what life does to you. It doesn't matter what that person does to you. It doesn't matter what your boss does to you. It doesn't matter what your environment does to you. Nobody controls your response. Only you control your response. So really, it's not a matter of the external conditions or environments around you. What matters is, it's the condition and the temperature of your heart will determine your response. So Peter acknowledges that there is a wide variety of conditions around him. He realizes that some people have the breaks and some people have the no breaks. And he realizes that some people have the gifts and some people have the no gifts. And he realizes that some people are in a good place in life and some people are in a bad place in life. He realizes that some people are waking up every day playing Cinderella for all these people around them. They feel Pride, they feel put down, they feel belittled, they feel like they're nothings in this life. And he says, I want you to understand when it comes to the kingdom of God, your condition does not determine your attitude. So, then what determines your attitude? Your calling. 
your calling. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, notice in verse 20. As he is writing to this group of people, and he's talking about how they live for Christ and how their example points to Christ, he reminds them, verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it and endure? He says, so what, what credit do you get is if you're speeding down the road and the policeman pulls you over and gives you a ticket and you pay it, you're not being unjustly treated. <laughs> you got what you deserve. And we've said it before, I've said it to you, dumb decisions <laughs> have dumb results. What was it my boss said? Play dumb games, you get dumb prizes. You know, you know sometimes we, we reap the penalty of poor choices in our lives. So it's not one of those things that you and I look up and go, you know what, we made a bunch of dumb decisions and now we're having to deal with the consequences. No, he's talking about those individuals that didn't do anything wrong in the eyes of the world. He says there in verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been What's the word? Called. For this you have been called. What he's saying is, is that when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the people around us, there will be some people that have been called to a life of ease and a life of luxury and a life of all the money they can handle. Oh, I wish I had that calling in my life. And there will be some people that will be called to a life of drudgery and and jerk people around them and having to be patient and long-suffering and having all those gifts of the Spirit. There will be some people that have been called to a life of uh, pointing people to Jesus in their hometown. There will be some people that have been called to a life of pointing people to Jesus in a different context. There will be different callings for different people in different contexts and the conditions cover the board. But the reality is, is God calls us for some specific things. Look there. In verse 20, 1. I'm sorry, back in verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter reminds us that the calling that unites all of us together is number one, to do good. To do good. Every single one of you in this room that profess Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Every single one of us in this room that are born again follower of Jesus Christ, we have been giving a we have been given a calling by God. And that is for God has called us to serve him, to follow after Jesus Christ and to give our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. He has called us not just to do good, but also he says there in verse 20 and suffer for it. Means to suffer well. And you may say, well, Spence, you don't understand what i got to deal with suffering with. Spence, you don't understand what I am dealing with in my life. Spence, you don't understand what all I'm doing. It's easy for you to say that I'm supposed to suffer well. You don't have the medical problems I have. You don't have the work problems I have. You don't have the financial problems I have. You don't have the, the, the uh, family problems that I have. You don't have some of these things going on. I do not. But I'm also not the one calling you. God is calling you. And it doesn't matter what situation you're in. It doesn't matter what the condition is. The condition does not supersede the calling. Sometimes we get in this life and we start viewing, viewing our calling through our condition. In other words, and I've said this before, so many times people come when it comes to God's word and the view of the world. And they come and they put the lens, the glasses of the world in order to interpret scripture. And that's completely backwards from what we're taught to do. What we are taught to do according to Scripture is to put on the lens of God's Word and interpret the world through the lens of God. And in the same way, sometimes you and I can get blinders on and we don't even pay attention to our calling because we are so fixated on our condition. And may I tell you, as lovingly as possible, your condition does not supersede your calling. 
Because every single one of us are going to be in conditions that are better or worse than someone else around you. I guarantee you, no matter where you're at in the room, someone has it better than you. And someone has it worse than you. And yet, the world is so good in keeping you and I fixated on our own conditions and get fixated on just ourselves. And the next thing you know, we are not focused on God's calling or God's direction for our life. It was said there in the morning Sunday school class this morning that we have the world's perspective and not God's perspective. And Peter's writing to them to tell them that, you know what often distracts us from our calling is we get fixated in our condition. And sometimes it can be easy for us to get fixated in our condition. The things that are going good or bad, the things that I'm dealing with right now, some of you are facing some very tough decisions when it comes to your vocation. Some of you are struggling right now keeping your peace and keeping your Christian example on Facebook and other social media platforms. Some of you are wondering about what is the direction here and what is the direction over there. Some of you are wondering what is going to happen with your children and what is going to happen to your grandchildren and what is going to take place in this area and that area. And I'm not saying those are bad and I'm not saying you should not think about those. But brothers and sisters, what Peter is saying is what determines our example and what affects our example and influences our example is not our condition. It is our calling. And our calling, he reminds us, is to serve God, to live like Christ. In fact, in verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He says the calling is not to be concerned about your condition, not to make your condition a big deal, not to get attention because of your condition. Your calling is to live like Christ. To chase after Christ. Let me read for you John chapter 6. Jesus is looking at his disciples. He had a great following and he tells these disciples it's going to be tough. There's going to be challenges, there's going to be obstacles you're going to be facing. You may not want to go through with this. A great number of his disciples, it says in verse 66, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And verse 68 says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They're looking at him and saying, you know what? We have seen what this world has to offer. We have seen what money has to offer. We have seen what fame has to offer. We have seen what all these people in this world says is important and the marks of success and all these things that the world cries to be important. We've seen all those things and none of those things last. Because every year they're going to come out with a new iPhone. And every year they're going to come out with a new model of Tesla. Every year they're going to come out with a new improved squeeze chute. Every year, they're going to come up with a new gadget and a new gizmo. Every year, they're going to come up with new, something new and fancy. And they're going to say, you just need to buy it. You need it. Your life will be so much better if you have it. They're always going to come up with new things to distract us and get us to play squirrel on. And brothers and sisters, not by accident. So Peter says the way you live a different example is you don't get fixated on your condition. You get fixated on your calling. You fulfill your calling. And how do we fill our calling? So you may be sitting here looking at this text and going, okay, so Spence, so Peter is riding to the lowest of the low, to the highest of the highs, and he's looking at them and saying, hey, the whole goal is not your condition because your conditions will vary from day to day. The goal is to get fixated on your calling. Well, that's easy to say for you, Spence. You don't have all the things on your shoulders that I have on my shoulders. You don't have all the obstacles that I have. You don't have all the hindrances I have. But then Peter gives us the secret on fulfilling and being fixated on our calling. And that is the connection. The connection. Notice in verse 22, he continues this 
illustration. He continues this analogy looking at Christ. So he's talking about Christ when he picks up in verse 22, but he reminds us of who Christ is. He says, Peter writes, he committed no sin, neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. He's reminding us of the example that we have from Christ. He just got through telling us back in verse 21 that we have been called to follow the example of Christ. And then he reminds us of the example of Christ in verse 22 and 23 and 24. And he reminds us the example that Christ gave. When you think about Christ, you don't think about how smart he was. You don't think about how much money he had. You don't think about his vacation photos. You don't think about how many children he had. How hot his wife was. You don't think about how many promotions he got at work. You don't think about how much of an athletic stud he was. You don't think about all that stuff. When you think about Christ, you think about the sacrifice that he gave. And sometimes people go, why in the world would he do that? He did that because God told him to. In other words, the example points to the Creator. And if Peter has called us to live as an example to others of the kingdom of God, and if God has sent His Son to birth the church, and Christ has began the church and then commissioned the church then to continue as a physical representation and as a tangible example of a spiritual kingdom. And if we have been called together here as this church to point other people to God, to bring glory to God, and Peter would say, you are the example that people are looking at of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves, what as an example are we pointing to? Are we pointing to the Creator? Are we pointing to ourselves? Well, since we're in church, so what do we think we're doing? I've been in services before that the focus was on the person, the performer. I've been in those church service before that the whole musical, I mean, it was all give us the attention. Give us the attention. Greg Greg has seen that before where it's all about let's focus on the singer. Let's focus on the team. Let's focus on the musician. Let's focus on this. And then the speaker gets up and it's all about my creativity. It's all about all the things I can do. The last movie we saw together as a church called Church People. And the whole focus, part of the focus was on the pastor. The pastor trying something new and innovative. The pastor trying something trendy. The pastor trying to get attention. Hey, everybody look at me, 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 me me. And that's how the world conditions us. It's all about you. It's all about your likes, your repost, your friends, your influence, the number of people that you reach, landing on the For You page. It's all about these things, about you, you, you. And Peter reminds us that the only way that we will live a proper life as living for Jesus is when our example points to the Creator. So he reminds us of this connection. He reminds us of the connection of who we are in Christ, but he also reminds us of the example that we have from Christ because he tells us, what did Christ do? He committed no sin, back up in verse 22. Neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he is reviled, he did not revile in return. He suffered, but and he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. This idea that Jesus gave us this example and the only explanation that we have of why Jesus did what he did was God. And I've talked to you before about this, but how much in your life is only explainable by God? How much in your life is only explainable by the work of God in your life? 
how much of your life is only explainable because God is living through me. This is why I do what I do. How much of your life is marked and it's only explainable by God? Peter reminds them that in order to live this calling out, regardless of your condition, in order to live as an example, living like Christ, you need to understand the connection is following the example of Christ, seeing the example of Christ, living like Christ lived. And I want to remind you that when he talks here in verse 22, 23, and 24, he talks about this suffering. I just want to remind you, I don't know what you're dealing with and I'm not trying to make light of what you're dealing with, but the reality is, is we will never outsuffer Christ. Not a single one of us in this room will ever outsuffer Christ. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. What does that mean, Spence? What that means is, in other places in Scripture, if we have time, but other, what it means is, is that we're told in Scripture that Jesus faced every temptation that you and I face, and yet he didn't sin. Why is that good news? Why is that helpful? That is because when it comes to Christ, He is that example. We look at sports stars and we think about, you know what, we look at their stats and we look at the things they do and yet every single one of them has flaws and faults. We look at governmental leaders and go, well, that's the next uprising star and that's the person we should follow and that's the person that has all the answers to all the woes of our politics and I'm telling you that person is flawed and that person has problems. There's not a single person on the face of this earth that doesn't have cracks and faults and failings. And yet in this Christian life, we are given the example of Christ to remind us that as long as we pursue the example of Christ, that we're pursuing the calling of God. And brothers and sisters, so many times we get so caught up getting fixated on our condition that we don't look past our condition to the calling that we have in Christ. Or when we think about the calling and we consider the calling, we say, well, the calling is too intimidating. The calling is too overwhelming. I can't serve the calling. And we start to disconnect and we start to think there is no use. We have no reason to continue on because it is not possible. And he reminds us, as long as we stay connected, this is a a John 15 type of attitude, the the branch and the vine. As long as we stay connected to Christ, we will stay connected to the calling. And then it really doesn't matter what the condition is because we know that we're serving Christ. And you go back in the Vox's book of martyrs and you go back in the annals of Christian martyrs and you go back and you realize there are so many men and women that came before us that had a terrible life by the world standards. Had a miserable life by the world standards. Yet they got up every morning and they served the Lord with joy because of their calling in their life. And sure, so many times we get fixated in our condition and we miss our calling. So Peter comes in and we just remind him. He starts talking about the servants. And you, and you say, well, I'm not a servant, so that leaves me out. No, he's talking about everybody all the way down to the servant. And he's saying for every one of us in this room and every one of us in our condition of life, he is not saying he understands. He's not saying that he knows. He's not saying that he can empathize or feel everything that you're feeling. What he is saying is, is that when you are in here, it doesn't matter about your condition. It only matters about your calling. And church, we're in a struggle right now believing that and practicing that. Because we have a lot of people that let their condition dictate their calling. And the results of that is an anemic, lethargic, overweight, lazy church. Because the church has bought into the world's lies that their condition is more important than their calling. So you have the rise of this self-love movement that 
teaches you and encourages you and exhorts you that you've got to take care of you. That you are the most important person. I am still looking for in Scripture where it says that you are the most important person. I am still looking for in Scripture where it says that self-love comes before love for God and love for other people. I am still looking for in Scripture where it says that we should elevate you and not God. And yet we're living in that day and age that it's all about you. It's all about self-love. We're living in a day, day and age when you have all this unrest going on, when it, whether it's the, the critical race series or the social justice, and people start to think, well, everything needs to be fair, everything needs to be just, but who's the definition? And who's the arbiter to decide what is fair and what is not? Do I think that there are injustices that take place in our government, in our society? Yes. Do I think that there needs to be more equity when it comes to the treatment of people, regardless of their color and their skin? Yes. But what I am reminded of when I come to Scripture, as long as sin is in this world, you will all always have injustice and inequality and it's not a result of God's desire. It's a result of the effect of sin. So he tells you, he doesn't care what the condition is. It's a matter of your calling. And church, this is huge for where we move from here. Because if we get fixated in our condition, then we stop short of our calling. And if we don't realize the connection of our calling to the work that God is calling us to do through the example, through the work of Jesus Christ, then we will try to do it on our own power and we'll try to do it under our own abilities and we'll try to do it under our own giftings and all, all of those will continually fall short. And unless we are connected to the spiritual power, we will finally burn ourselves out when we're only connected to our own power. So Peter comes to the end of this little passage here. He comes to the end and he's talking about their example. He's talking about their condition. He's talking about their calling. He's talking about their connection. But then finally I want you to see he's talking about their confession. So he's writing to the early church and the early church is sitting there going, well you know what, he's already caught all of us. He, there's not a single one of us that can worm our way out of this one. He, he's connecting, he's directing his remarks and he's the conviction of the Holy Spirit has now come upon all of us. Yeah, you know what, we shouldn't be focused on our condition. We shouldn't be fixated on our condition because really none of that matters. We have a calling and that calling has a connection and we start to say, well yeah, but, 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 but. We start looking for all the exits. We start looking for all the excuses. So he reminds us that all this stuff is applicable to us based upon our confession. What do you mean the confession, Spence? Well, notice in verse 25. He says, for you. Now, if you go back and grammatically break that down, he is talking about in the past tense. He's referring to the reader, but he's taking them back to the past. And he's reminding them of the past to then drive home the point in the present. And so what he does is, he says, for you were straying like sheep. In other words, he takes them back to where you were. Every single one of us has a past. Every single one of us has a moment in life that we are lost in our sin and we realized that if we died in that sin, we would spend an eternity in hell. Every single one of us came to the moment that we realized that because of the sin of our life and the penalty for that sin and the reality of an eternal hell, we needed a Savior. So every one of us came to the point that we heard the gospel message. And the gospel message is just clear. God sent His Son, Jesus, to live a life that you and I couldn't live, to pay a price that we deserved, to earn a salvation we could never 
earn on our own. And because he died on the cross, because he was buried in the tomb for three days, because he rose from the grave, and because right at this moment he sits at the right hand of the Father, he is able to pay that redemption price so that we might be forgiven of our sins. So you come to that point and you realize, I need forgiven of my sins. And you cry out and say, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Jesus, you died for my sins. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come be the Lord of my life. I give you my life, Jesus. And he does it. And you're saved. And from that moment forth, you realize that my eternity is secured in heaven. Not because of my works, not because of my good deeds, not because of my membership in our church role, not because of my last name, not because of my academics, not because of my money, not because of my demographics, not because of my ethnicity, not because of my good looks, good looks or athletic prowess. I am saved because of Jesus. And yet, there was a day that you weren't. And there's a day that you are. So Peter comes back to remind them of where you were. You were lost. You were bound for hell. You were stuck in that rat, this rat race of life of trying to impress the wrong people, of trying to earn the wrong trinkets, of trying to find that satisfaction and that peace and that happiness that is impossible on this side of eternity apart from God and Jesus in your life. And you start trying to do all these things and then all of a sudden you realize coming to Jesus does not give me all the wants of my life. Coming to Jesus does not ease all the obstacles and hardships of my life. Coming to Jesus does not make every day a Friday. Coming to Jesus does not make everything, all my problems go away. Coming to Jesus means that even in the midst of my condition, even in the midst of my struggles, even in the midst of my hardships and discouragements, this is just a moment of time. We're coming to that season of life with Micah. But he starts talking. Now he's not talking, the English talking. I mean, he's still doing the baby talk. But he, he's just talking. And I can't control him talking. And Jaylene can't control him talking. It's not like a string we pull in the back of him to let him go. But it's this idea that he just starts exercising his vocal abilities at weird times and usually at the most inopportune times. So you get into a church setting like this, and there he is back there. And everybody's looking around like, can't they just make that baby be quiet? Yes, but you get in trouble with the law when you make them be quiet like that. <laughs> The socks in the mouth and the duct tape is frowned upon. Overdosing a diamond tap is not part of the... <laughs> bad, bad, bad. And some of you other parents are in that same situation in life. You're finding yourself in there and it gets frustrating. But may I remind you something? It's a season. It's a season of life. And you're going to spend first two or three years trying to get them to talk and then they spend the rest of their life trying to get them to stop talking. And it's a season. And the same thing applies with where you're at in your life. You may say, I got a jerk boss and I'm really having struggles at work and I'm really having a hard time at the house and my wife and I, my husband and I, we're not getting along and the children aren't behaving and I can't stand this government arrest and I can't stand what is going on right now in the, in the, in the, in the medical world and I got this and I got this and I got this. May I remind you it's a season? But this is not eternity. This is a season. So Peter wants to remind them. Peter says, for you were straying like sheep. He reminds them who you were. But then, oh, the good stuff, the good stuff. He reminds them of where are you going? 
he reminds them where they're going. He says, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. He reminds them, when you think about where you were, remember where you are going. Where are we going, Christians? We are going to heaven. Where are we going, Christians? We are going to stand before Christ, and we are going to give an answer for our lives to Christ. But eternally, ultimately, we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be in those glorified bodies. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be more suffering. There's not going to be more tears. We are going to be with Christ. We are going to be with our creator for an eternity. That is where we are going. So when it comes to our confession, we can sit there and say, you know what? I realize today stinks. Yesterday stunk. Tomorrow's probably going to stink. And I don't have any hope that next week's going to get any better. But you know what? The stink is only a season. And this world is so adept getting us to get fixated on the condition so that we lose sight of our calling. And we lose sight of our calling. We let that connection to Christ wane. And the next thing you know, our confession is not about who we were, not about where we are going, but how much the world has us. So Peter comes into this passage and he reminds them, where are you going? You're going to the shepherd. You're going to the overseer of your souls. We are all going to stand before Christ one day. We are all going to answer before God. We are all going to come to that moment that we will look back on these temporary afflictions. We will look upon these temporary pains and we'll say, you know what? That was just a drop in the bucket compared to where I am at now. So brothers and sisters, it comes down to a different example. But the world looks at the church and the world looks at this church and they don't see a church that is fixated with all the distractions and all the turmoil and all the divisions and all the schisms and all the sin that marks this world and all the unrest. But they look at a church and they realize there is something different about them. Because of the example that we give. I don't know of your condition. But may I lovingly tell you that your condition doesn't matter? <laughs> Where you're at in life, your health, your financial, your vocational, your mental, your physical, your emotional, none of that matters. All that matters is are you fulfilling in faithfulness your calling before God? So then how do we live this example? Just three things and we'll be done. Three things. First thing I want to encourage you with is to expect challenges and obstacles. Expect challenges and obstacles. Expect. Expect to have hardships. Expect to be made fun of. Expect to have difficulties in your life. Expect these things. I got to be careful what I say because I, I, I think some of them listen. But I work with some men that aren't in church. A couple of them outright just told me that they're not a believer. And so I thought, a couple weeks ago, I thought, you know, God, I, what kind of example am I leading at work in front of those men? And then just this last Thursday, we're sitting in the shop and I'm, I'm getting my rear end kicked by this extension cord. I don't know about some of you all, but you know how some of the simplest things in life are the most aggravating? 
I mean, just some of the most complicating things. I'm sitting there getting my tail kicked, and they've got this radio, and they Bluetooth this music, and so sometimes it's, hey, let's see if we can get the preacher to blush, and then sometimes it's, let's play this music and see if he knows a song, because then if he knows a song, it's like, ha we got you. You know what? I haven't always been what I'm trying to be today, so you know what? There's some of that stuff, you know, but it's always this, they're always playing different things, and it's just kind of a humorous time, and, and I'm sitting there working on this tension cord, and I heard this voice. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, that's not a song. I'm listening to it, and I'm like, man, that sounds familiar. They were playing the sermon from last Sunday. <laughs> and then I start to think, well, did I talk bad about them? <laughs> did I make fun of them? And then I'm starting to think about, well, you know, if they, if, even if they're listening to five minutes, does the five minutes they listen to from this time look like the five minutes they're seeing in the next time. I'll tell you honestly, I was getting so whooped by that extension cord, I thought about just giving up and going being a plumber. I, I thought this is, <laughs> this isn't the lie for me. And, and I'm sitting there thinking as I'm listening to it, and they just played a few minutes of it, just kind of, ha, 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 let's, let's kind of have some fun. But I thought, how many of us live a double example? How many of us live a dual life? Peter comes in and says, expect challenges and obstacles. He's telling them, remind, remember your example. Second thing is he tells them, endure for now. Endure for now. He, he talks about this enduring the suffering. Well, how long do I got to endure it, Spence? Endure for now. Well, how long is now? I don't know how long now is. You don't know how long now is. Endure for now. Be faithful for now. Well, how can I just keep going on? I don't think I can handle a single another minute. You can handle it as long as God calls you to handle it. Amen. You can handle as long as the Spirit still enables you to endure it. You can handle as long as He says to handle because you know this is just a season in life and ultimately what we're all driving towards is playing follow the leader. That's what it all comes down to. Playing follow the leader. That's why He reminds us we are straying like sheep but now I return to the shepherd. He's reminding this whole thing of life, this whole thing of church, this whole thing of Christian servitude to God. It's playing follow the leader. Not follow the rabbit, not follow the squirrel, not follow the popular face, not, popular, not follow the dynamic voices, not follow the trends, not follow the new methodology. Follow the leader. And by doing so, we'll be an example that will point people to Jesus. So when you get out on the street tomorrow and a reporter comes and puts a microphone in your face and says, can I talk to you about what's going on? When they talk to you, will it be evident that you're a Christian? Will the example be relevant and evident of who you belong to? Or will people not have any clue when they look at your daily life? Would you bow your heads with me?